Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.26 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 23rd of April, 2021. This is episode... What the hell is the episode number? Oh my God, I can't remember. I think it's uh, 406, in fact. Is it? Let's find out. We're going to find out real quick. Is it? It's 406. Oh, thank God. I did it. I did it. I was able to actually, you know, do stuff and reach for things. We're going to go to 47,000. That's prediction. If you had an allergic reaction to that statement and automatically got pissed off at me, you're in the wrong place. I don't normally make predictions, but I'm going to agree with the cadre of Bitcoin degenerates that just continuously, for whatever reason, trade this shit. (coughs) They're looking... (coughs) Sorry, I'll get to that in a second. They're continuously looking at 47,000. Some idiots are actually looking at 43. I don't buy that. We've had a lot of pressure release. And if you release way too much pressure, then shit gets weird. We'll we'll get into all that here in a second. But first, my apologies for not coming to you the last couple of days. Uh, God, like so in March, I got bronchitis and it laid me up. This time I got a cold. Like just a re- it's a regular cold, but it's bad. And last two days has just been like, oh, I just want to lay on the couch. You know, it's like, it's just painful. So sore throat is going to cause me to sound like a frog. I can't, I can't do anything about it. It's either this or I come back to you on Monday. And honestly, I just couldn't, I just couldn't because there's just, there's way too much bullshit going on that we got to get into. So let's start with Turkey. God dang it. There's always some asshole somewhere that wants to just be a dick, right? So here's here's our dick of the day. The CEO of Thordex, a Turkish cryptocurrency exchange established in 2017, has fled the country and left user funds irretrievable. But funds are safu, says the same fucking guy. Bitcoin Magazine uh, and Namikos has this one. The CEO of Turkish cryptocurrency exchange Thordex Farouk Fatih Ozer has fled the country (coughs) after failing to transfer his shares to another investor, leaving the remaining assets of about 390,000 active users irretrievable. According to a report by Bloomberg, that is, Thoradex's lawyer, Badran Aguz Bazibibibibrik, sorry, said that the CEO fled Turkey because he would have either been arrested or have committed suicide otherwise. Bazabuyuk 
also explained that there was a liquidity problem with the exchange. Oh, really? Explaining by phone that, quote, there was a decline in Thordex's assets. <gasps> no. When too many users demanded their money back, the company was unable to meet those uh, demands per the report. Okay, let's stop right there. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like, that sounds like two things and probably both together, honestly. One is the dude stole all your shit. But let's put that to the side and just say, is it possible that they were rehypothecating? That they were, you know, saying that you had more than you actual, or that you owned Bitcoin, or, or in this case, let's say Dogecoin, because that apparently is going on at the same exchange as well. <laughs> Dogecoin, God. Um, that these people were trying to get their money out or their, their cryptocurrencies out, and they just weren't able to meet those obligations. Well, that sounds a hell of a lot like a bank run, and banks being fractionally reserved or rehypothecatable uh, are just not able to meet those demands, so they just don't. Not your keys, not your coins. At one point or another, people are going to figure this out. I just don't know when. Um, but I'm thinking, you know what? It was probably both. He probably stole a shitload of cryptocurrency, and at the same time, he wasn't able to, he wouldn't have been able to meet the obligations even if he could. So he's, you know, said, hey, better. Listen, I'll just, I know what a better thing to do is. I'll just take all their money. <clears throat> and that way, because I'm hosed either way. Like I'm hosed either way. I'm going to jail or somebody is going to pitchfork my ass and then light my ass on fire with a torch or something like that. So I might as well cut, cut bait and run and take all their money. Because even if he hadn't done that, I, I'm almost certain with the gut feeling that I have that they were rehypothecating and people, he was telling people that they had way more uh, backing than they actually had to be able to service uh, withdrawals, right? This is the way it goes. And this is why when you hear us preach constantly like a broken record about not your keys, not your coins, this is it. I've said it many, 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 many times on this show. If you're not holding your own keys, which, you know, honestly is, is, can be difficult. I get it. But I mean, it's like that or just wake up one day and a Turkish guy decides to take all your shit. Which would you rather? I mean, would you rather learn how to hold your own keys so that some Turkish guy can't wake up one morning, have a cup of fucking Turkish coffee and then board a plane and take all your shit? I mean, which, which would you rather have? I mean, again, this goes back to why are you here on this planet? Now, you were born, you know, for something. Was it to sit in a cubicle and let somebody feed you instructions all day for you to execute until finally one day you may have enough retirement money to stop doing stuff and go do it? I don't know, go sit at home and read books all day? Or were you supposed to take part in all this? It be part of the future because <clears throat> the future is always here, man. You had to learn how to use cell phone. The iPhone comes along and then all of a sudden you have to learn how to use all these different apps. And then you get kids and then they find these apps that you have literally no interest in. And they bring them up to you going, Hey, download this. And then you do. And then you have to figure out what the hell it actually does so that you can get it like, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Some things are more bullshit than others. I get that. But if you're not going to at least put in the time to learn how to do the Lightning Network, how to run a node, 
understand why those two things are important, important, then the chances, I mean, if you're not going to do those, then you sure as shit isn't going to do is something as simple as holding your own keys. That is, that's like base requirement. Holding your own keys is the one thing that defends against some Turkish guy having a cup of Turkish coffee, getting on a plane and bailing with all of your shit. Because if you think this is the last time it's going to happen, you are fooling yourself. If you've got your shit <coughs> on an exchange, you got to get it off and you have to put it into your own wallet, a wallet that you control. And the only way that you know you control it is that if you understand what private keys are and can confirm that what you're looking at is indeed a functional private key. Stop letting Turkish people steal all your shit. Not that I have anything against Turks, okay? I actually know a couple of them. They actually seem to be really nice people. Like the Greeks, most people, like anybody in the world, most people just want to go have a beer, fall in love, have kids, eat good food. It is like a, a, a low percentage of bullshit of people that perform this kind of bullshit. Sadly, it's the only percentage of people that actually make the news. Is all the people that engage in bullshit. I guess that's just the way it goes. Anyway, <clears throat> a statement from Ozer, which is the CEO, on Tho, Thor, or Thodex's website also indicates that a years-old hacking industry incident has caused the financial problems. Oh, yeah, right. Quote, from today on, my sole aim is to repay my debt to you. The day I repay all of my debt, I will return to my country and give myself into justice, Ozer said in a statement addressed to the exchange's users, according to Bloomberg. The news comes after the exchange announced on Twitter that it had abruptly halted trading because the transfer of the shares to an outside investor could not be completed, according to a previous report from Bloomberg. Services would be shut for five working days, but users wouldn't need to worry about their funds, <laughs> the announcement said. Funds are SAFU, I guess. Thodex's Bitcoin trading volume only represents about you know 1.7% of its total volume, according to CoinMarketCap, which would be about $10 million worth. Dogecoin, however, leads, representing a whopping 52.39% of the total trading volume. Are you telling me that he left his exchange with a bag full of Doge because he thought it was... Uh, you know what? Let's just go on. In mid-March, Thodex announced a Sogecoin campaign. I wonder if they misspelled that. Saying it would distribute millions of Dogecoins to new registrants, though many people have taken to social media to complain they never received them, according to Bloomberg. Although the Turkish Central Bank banned the use of cryptocurrencies for payments earlier in April, claiming excessive volatility and dangerous lack of regulation, exchanges could still operate. The ban seeks to specifically halt usage of Bitcoin for payments to protect the Turkish lira and still allows Turks to buy Bitcoin as an investment. After this incident, however, with Thodex, the future of Bitcoin exchanges in the country is less certain. Now let's just pause on what is probably a false flag. Okay. And I don't, hold on for a sec. Let me make sure. Uh, let's see, we're going to get it. Okay. I'm just looking at some of the news stories because I don't want to really recover this. Uh, <clears throat> later on in the show, and I don't think I'm going to. If I do, forgive me. I'm still sick. Come on, man. Give me a break. All right, let's get into this this whole crash because this this plays a part of it. Um, 
we started this entire Bitcoin crash, right? With power going off in China. Allegedly, I, I guess, well, I guess it's alleged. I don't know. I mean, but be that alleged or not, it hit the news. It is FUD. Yes, power probably did go off. We know we saw a massive uh, drain of hash power on the Bitcoin network. And then things started to kind of turn south. Okay. And then on top of that, once that turned south and people kind of started selling, oh, you know, this, ah, I'm feeling uncomfortable. They went just a little too hardo on their cells and they triggered a cascade of liquidations. People that have had set, I don't know, stop losses. They had like, you know, I guess lower scale longs and then the longs started to get liquidated. And then after a while, it went down so far that people that on the bottom end, I guess on stop losses or whatever, they get start to get liquidated and it just cascades. Okay, it goes on and on and on and on. And then we get, we kind of stop for a little bit. And then the IRS, and I think I've, I think I've got something about the IRS here later on. But then the IRS starts talking about taxing forks. Oh God, an, uh, here's another element of fear because the, the weak the amount of weak handedness that came into Bitcoin since January, it, 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 even I didn't suspect that there was this many weak hands that came in. And I don't think I'm, I, I hope that I never get fooled by that again. <clears throat> so we, we've got a couple of things working for us. First of all, since January, we got a shit ton of weak handed retailers entering into the system going, we're going to ape into everything that we possibly freaking can. Then the power goes off in, in China. And then people start you know, getting out of their positions because they're all scared and weak-handed. And then that triggers a cascade of liquidations. And that makes it worse. And that cascade blows into your stop losses on the lower side. And then those start getting liquidated. Everybody starts getting liquidated at once. And then we get this plateau. And then the IRS says that they're going to tax your fork. How the fuck are they even going to find out? If you have your own keys and you keep them and you're, you're not on an exchange, then the IRS doesn't know diddly about your fork. And also, they'd have to prove that you actually took the fork, even if they did know your private keys, which you should never give anybody your private keys or let them know whatever, you know, what wallet you're having. It's nobody's business but your own. They would, I mean, even if they, if, if they did know your private key information and they saw, well, you know, hey, you had this many Bitcoin in your wallet at the time of this particular shit fork, uh, you owe us. And it's like, no, I never took possession of it. And I guess, I suppose it may be possible that you'd actually have to write them a letter saying that you are going to, you know, give it all to charity or, or that you refuse, you refuse to take possession of it. But it, none of that really matters because if you own your, if you hold your own private keys, they shouldn't know dick about it. If, but if you're on an exchange, oh, Nelly, because those are not your keys. And Kraken and Coinbase Pro and all the rest of them will tell the IRS that you had a fork on that date. All right? So be aware. Now that triggers even more FUD. And then, and then, this Turkish guy or, or Turkey at the same time, you know, right around the same time, maybe like 48 hours before the IRS news, comes out and says that they're banning cryptocurrency for use for payments, making a circular economy inside the country of Turkey based on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Almost impossible. Because, I mean, at that point, it's going to go to a black market. 
Not that they don't have their own black market bazaars out there. I'm just saying. So that adds to to the fuel. And then all of a sudden people are like going, God, with what I just saw and now Turkey banning it, now you get a whole other set of weak hands. Not as weak as the first ones, but a whole other set of, you know, stronger yet still weak hands. They start doing the same shit. Triggers a whole other set of liquidate of, of, of cascading liquidations. It, it just goes on and on and on. And now we've got this, we've got this guy in Turkey who's running off with shit. And I guarantee you, he is probably working with the Turkish government to make sure that they've got a reason. They maybe they maybe they said, look, we'll we'll let you we'll let you keep all your money. How about that? We let you keep all your money, but we need you to board a plane. We need you to get the hell out of here, and we basically need you to steal all these these uh, all these Turk, uh, Turks money, so that when we go to them and we say we're banning this shit, not even on exchanges, because that's probably coming, then they'll cheer. And what you end up with is understanding how the human race in every single country in the world over the last five thousand years probably has been controlled and manipulated by other humans who are sociopaths since fucking Caesar sociopaths. If you're going to let them win, you know, make sure that you turn yourself in and and get that vaccination. That's purely experimental and is causing women to have their periods and, and you know, have really funky periods. That means that this screwing with fertility at this point and uh, make sure that you, uh, Tell every liberal that yells at you <clears throat> that you you know that that you don't agree with exper- taking a experimental vaccine that that they were right. You just go ahead and lay yourself out there like the total worthless human being that you could possibly ever be. We either fight this shit now with every single weapon that we've been given under the sun, or we lay down and die. And this is where I go back to, why are you here on this planet in the first fucking place? Why are we here? Is it, I mean, even if, I'm not even talking about like it's, oh, well, I'm here to examine the the grandeur of the universe to make humanity better. Oh, that's such a bullshit statement. No, dude, you're here to be part of humanity. We don't know why humanity's here. That's not even the question that you ask. The better question to ask is how is humanity here and how are you going to be part of humanity? And if how you're going to be part of humanity is to sit in a cubicle and ingest instructions and execute on somebody else's plan until you have enough money to retire so that you can go sit in a chair, stare at a wall or read a fucking book, then maybe possibly humanity is not for you. Sorry, dude. Okay. Yeah, sorry, that might have been a little too strong. I'm just saying, I love all you guys. When I say you, you know who I'm talking about, okay? Um, Honestly, one of the people that I'm talking about are all the gamers that are so freaking pissed off about how Bitcoin is causing, because Bitcoin mining is, is so rampant that it's causing the price of GPUs to become out of their reach, and they're really pissed. The problem is, Bitcoin hasn't used GPU mining since 2013. We've been on ASICs, which has absolutely nothing to do with gaming. It doesn't even eat into the foundries that are making gaming chips. The ASICs are, are like their, their worst, their lowest line of chip. 
right? GPUs are pretty much like GPUs and Pentiums and, and, you know, new, you know, CPUs that are coming online. That, that's the shit, bro. Not ASICs. We, they produce a lot of them, but they're easy. You know, once, once you've got the die spun up for them, they're really easy. Yet, there are more gamers than I care to think about that are literally blaming Bitcoin specifically for causing GPUs to become out of their reach. When all we have to really do is read this one from Greg Thompson out of Cointelegraph. Leaked NVIDIA RTX 3080 Ti GPU shown mining Ethereum at 118 megahashes per second. Mm-hmm. NVIDIA's RTX 30 series of graphics cards have been subject to unending speculation, rumor, and even ridicule since the firm first announced it would ship its latest GPUs with a built-in Ether mining limiter. A series of missteps saw the mining limiter on NVIDIA's RTX 3060 cards first undone by crafty hackers and then completely removed by one of NVIDIA's own driver updates. Whoops. The latest in a series of leaks now suggest NVIDIA's next major GPU release, the RTX 3080 Ti, could be shipped without a cryptocurrency mining limiter after all, or rather, at all. Leaked screenshots first uncovered by videocards.com shows the 3080 Ti mining Ether with a hash rate of 118.9 megahashes per second. That's more than quadruple what the hamstrung cards were originally supposed to be capable of. It's worth noting that there have been no confirmations that the GPU in the screenshots is the same one that NVIDIA is prepping for release. The leaked model could be a model still around from before the company decided to implement its mining limiters. Also, NVIDIA's previous missteps in releasing its anti-crypto cards have led to the company considering a complete overhaul of its 30 series range. So the performance of the card in question may not necessarily be representative of the one that is expected to hit shelves in May. With a prospective hash rate of 118.9 megahashes per second, the 3080 Ti stands to be a very profitable card for Ether miners, even in Western nations. China's average electricity cost of around $0.08 per kilowatt hour per household, meaning the GPU would stand to return profits of around $378 per month or $4,611 per year. In the United States, where electricity averages at around 13 cents per kilowatt hour per household, the card would still return a healthy profit of $4,488 per year or just over two ETH based on current prices. The GPU is expected to cost around a grand upon release. However, another mad rush by cryptocurrency miners could see demand outstrip supply once more, again resulting in a higher price. People, please make sure that you instruct your gamer friends that this has nothing to do with Bitcoin. It hasn't had anything to do with Bitcoin since 2013. This shit is all fucking Ethereum's fault. Okay, this is all Ethereum. So you make sure that any gamer who's like kind of pissed at Bitcoin miners just say stop. Is it because of gaming cards being expensive and they say yes? You say you need to go have a discussion with Vitalik Buterin and those assholes over at Ethereum. They are your enemy. Bitcoin hasn't had anything to do with your price increases since 2013. And make sure that they truly understand what it was that you just said, because I'm tired of this crap. Argo Blockchain 
uh, <clears throat> mission to change Bitcoin mining. Speaking of mining, this is Jesse Willems writing for BitcoinMagazine.com. Bitcoin mining company Argo Blockchain is on a new adventure as it sets up shop in West Texas. Woohoo! <laughs> my home, my home stomping grounds, bro. A growing North American mecca for the industry. I'm still trying to figure out how they mitigate the heat. As somebody who grew up in West Texas, let me tell you about the summers. That shit's hot. Quote, we are really excited about this site. We purchased a 320-acre plot which has access to 800 megawatts of electrical power. Over the next 12 months, we will build a new 200-megawatt mining facility. Argo CEO Peter Wall recently told Bitcoin Magazine. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has opened his arms to Bitcoin miners, signaling support for the new cryptocurrency laws and promoting innovation in digital asset technology for his state. Quote, we chose West Texas and this site in particular because it offers us some of the lowest electricity rates in the world, and the majority is from renewable sources, namely wind and solar, added Wall. Argo already has six mining operations in Canada and the United States and is celebrating record first quarter revenues in 2021. The company's mining revenues in March were $9.1 million compared with $6.04 million in February. Argo's mining revenues were $18.6 million for the first quarter of 2021, the company's most profitable quarter to date. As the Bitcoin mining difficulty rate climbs and more miners seek to take advantage of increasing price, well, not right now, Argo finds itself well-placed to take full advantage of this bull run. The company bought mining equipment in the early 2020s before demand skyrocketed its Preferred miners are Bitmain, Antminer, S19Ss, and S19 Pros. Its latest order came in February 2021 with 4,500 Antminer S19Ss. <clears throat> Argo has also pre-ordered $8 million worth of specially designed miners built to its own specifications from EPIC Mining Technologies. I don't know, I've never even heard of EPIC. In a release, uh, recent release, Wall discussed Argo's partnership with DMG Blockchain to establish and run an environmentally friendly mining pool, processing only blocks mined sustainably. Quote, I am also thrilled that we are working with DMG to achieve something we believe will be transformational in the crypto space in the creation of Terra Pool, the first Bitcoin mining pool that will be powered by clean energy. Quote, TerraPool will initially consist of both Argo and DMG's hash rate from clean energy, which is mostly generated from hydroelectric resources. It will provide a platform for cryptocurrency miners to produce Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in a more sustainable way, Wall told Bitcoin Magazine. There have been some questions raised about the idea of having two classes of Bitcoin, clean and otherwise, as well as suggestions that this is mostly a marketing ploy. Colin Sullivan, CEO of Mint Green, a mining company using only renewables and selling the captured heat from mining equipment to businesses and institutions, has been watching this with interest. Quote, some worry that green mining pools create a complex hierarchy of value within Bitcoin. In reality, it simply widens the net for direct Bitcoin investment with a growing number of firms compelled by ESG criteria, he told Bitcoin Magazine. Asked how the pool develop, was developing, Wall said, quote, the mining pool is in its early stages and our teams are currently working together to establish the criteria for other miners to be able to join and how the pool will be governed to ensure all miner hash rates are from only renewable resources. We're planning on it being fully operational by the end of this quarter. The industry at large is trending towards low carbon 
And it's good to see major players embrace their inner green. <laughs> oh my God. Bitcoin mining companies are ambassadors to this new era of money, and we have an obligation to be environmental stewards. We at Mint Green have pushed the envelope of green mining to its theoretical maximum, and I think TerraPool is poised to set a similar standard for pools. I don't think you've pushed the envelope of green mining to its theoretical maximum, dude. I mean, look, I'm not a tree-hugging hippie freak. I, I guarantee it. But I, I do think about the environment, and, but I, I'm like of the, of, the, of the mindset where it's like, how can I use the waste product of something to be able to mine Bitcoin and the waste from that system being driven to be able to make things better on the planet? Okay, I don't need to say, stop burning fossil fuels. Oh, you guys at GAM are going to kill us all. No, they're not. Like, the, the, like I, I think that there's a way to mine Bitcoin with lower capacity energy sources than what would be just flared gas. Does that mean that I think GAM should be do, thinking along the same lines as me? No, because if they allow the, I mean, the, the more methane that gets up into the atmosphere, that shit's 100 times worse per gram than carbon dioxide. That's why they want you to stop eating meat because of all the methane driven by, from the cows. Well, guess what, people? All that methane from cows wouldn't be there if we would stop shoving corn in their ass, which they were never designed to eat in the first place. It's like if you eat something, when you eat something that is not designed for the human gut, you get gas. I wonder why. I'm just, look, I'm just saying there are the theoretical maximum of green Bitcoin mining has not even been scratched. These guys have not hit the theoretical maximum, okay? They don't even know what the maximum could possibly be. That shit is a, is a tie-wearing suit-speak kind of thing. So don't listen to that. Does that mean that I don't like what it is that they're doing? No, hell no, man. Let them go. Let them do whatever the hell they want. We need as much mining power in the Western Hemisphere as we can possibly get. All right, we need to be able to compete with China all the way. And, and and no, I'm not scared of China, you know, and their and their hash rate. Give me a break, dude. Anyway, let's see. Do I have time for this one? Oh, let's see. Who is who's writing this one? Flax. Yeah, let's go ahead and do this one. This might be a this show might end up being a little long because of it, but um Bitcoin's global hash power balance, okay? This fits into what I was saying about I really want the Western Hemisphere, and not just North American mining. Okay, that's what we talk about. Oh, we need more, we're getting more stuff in Canada. We're getting more stuff in Texas. We're getting more stuff in Tennessee. We're getting more stuff in, I don't know, freaking Kentucky. I don't give a shit. No, it needs to be in Mexico, Canada, the United States, Paraguay, Uruguay, Costa Rica, like all of Central America, all the way down to the tip of fucking South America, because I would very much like to go visit Patagonia. I mean, the whole Western Hemisphere is ripe for being able to do this. And at the same time, if done correctly, we can make the earth greener and be able to absorb more CO2 from the, from the environment, which would grow more food, which would in turn create a more sustainable environment across the board. And if we do it right, and we, if, we, if we are able to plug in Bitcoin mining, yielding energy, out of low yielding energy products such as chipped wood, 
and plug that into Alan Savory's holistic, you know, regener, you know, regenerative agriculture systems for pasture land. Dudes, there is nothing we can't do for this planet that will that will do anything other than bring it back to where it was before the population of the world was like, you know, 10 million people. But can you imagine this entire planet being populated by only 10 million? Even at 100 million people, that was enough. That was actually in, in quote unquote modern times. I'm just, I mean, modern times insofar as, you know, Greeks and the Trojan War and all that kind of shit. I'm just saying. Anyway, so... In 2021, the Bitcoin market is surely reaching an inflection point as its market cap, cap surpassed $1 trillion. Bitcoin's ecosystem has seen evolutionary growth and structural change, but there are noticeable trends that have been disrupting Asia's Bitcoin mining industry from the continent's declining share of hash power to the rapidly changing regulatory environment. However, there is more to this trend that meets the eye. You can hear my rooster going off, I guess. To determine whether the East or the West will ultimately obtain the greatest share of the global hash rate, we need to examine not only how many new mining machines a miner is able to obtain in today's market, but also the local regulatory environment. Asia's historical dominance in Bitcoin hash power is slowly declining, at least for now. The Asian mining industry glory days at the top as the top player are now being challenged by Western newcomers. Although China is home to the most powerful mining machines and largest mining farms, Chinese Bitcoin infrastructure is at a crossroads in its development. On the one hand, Asia's hash power is still topping the charts globally, whereas the U.S. and Canada accounted for less than 10% of global hash power in 2020. On the other hand, the shortage of mining machines has beleaguered the majority of Asian miners, and they have lost out on hundreds of millions of dollars in profits by continuing to mine on older machines. Since the second quarter of 2020, most new mining machine orders have been placed by foreign mining companies in the U.S. and Europe. Many Asian miners did not react quickly enough to the shock of the March 12th uh, Bitcoin flash crash and their deteriorating finances and a bleak industry outlook left them unable to place orders for newer machines. Today, many small miners are now struggling to compete with larger institutional mining farms, not just in China, but also in the U.S. This trend is reflected in the rise in demand for Babel Finance's mining machine loans, of which $40 million in machine-backed loans were distributed in March 2021 alone. This gives miners a capital edge when they purchase new machines. To see that Bitcoin mining is surging in popularity, we don't have to look very much further than Digital Currency Group's subsidiary Foundry, which secured a landmark deal with Chinese mining manufacturer MicroBT. The deal involves co-locating 14,000 units of the latest What's Miner M30Ss for institutional investors in the North American region. The deal was announced after MicroBT set up its first offshore uh, mining facility or manufacturing facility to cater to the increasing demand from the West. So far, global hash power has mainly been driven by the availability of mining machines, but ultimately a, dr a larger driving force behind how hash power is distributed globally may be a regulator's outlook on Bitcoin's future potential and their willingness to play along. The attitudes of government regulators can have dramatic effects on how competitive the top players are globally. The outcome of the global hash war has yet to be determined. Although the U.S. might be catching up, the results are not certain. 
A warmer attitude and flexibility, flexible regulatory environment could maximize the country's Bitcoin infrastructure growth success, or government stifling could risk losing the biggest fintech innovation and any future lead. Canada's leading position in Bitcoin ETFs and U.S.-based Coinbase's IPO are examples of what regulators can do to promote or hamper the growth of a region's Bitcoin markets. In addition, across the Pacific, at the local government level in China's Sichuan and Yunnan uh, provinces, officials encourage the use of energy that would otherwise be wasted in the region. In Sichuan, the wet season starts in May and runs through October, roughly 60 to 90 kilowatt hours that would have gone to waste because of inefficiencies in local power, transmission, and conversion were instead used for Bitcoin mining. Mining farms in China tend to be established in a way that not only prevents energy waste, but also creates economic opportunities and benefits both local citizens and governments. The daily miner revenue hit an all-time high of $77.5 million on April the 16th, 2021, according to a recent story published by Bitcoin Magazine. The support of the mining industry at the provincial level in China has been responsible for boosting and securing the country's hash power dominance, but for now, the U.S. is managing to secure the lion's share of new mining machines. In the future, concerns over environmental pollution could become a thorny, could become a thorny issue for U.S. firms. Clear, flexible government guidance on Bitcoin mining will pave the way for miners to operate without regulatory risks. In the long run, widening the distribution of hash power is positive for the industry's development. Satoshi's design of Bitcoin is based on the premise of a fully decentralized system. Although the Asian miners' hash power dominance once stirred unease in the West, the current shift in market dominance has reestablished confidence in the system, ironically, thanks to international differences in the regulatory environment. This was done by Flex Yang, writing for BitcoinMagazine.com. So this fits with what I was saying. You know, China's not going to remain the dominant miner for very much longer, and that's okay. Do and, and, and here's the flip side of that. Do I want them to be completely impoverished from Bitcoin mining? No, that's not the fucking point. The point is, is to have this distributed all over the globe, but to do it in a way that is not going to set the blue haired, liberal Trump hating motherfuckers on fire. And then all of a sudden they come after you with pitchforks and shit. We've got to give them something that they want. Why? Well, because they're here. And they're going to cry and they're going to bitch and they're going to mo moan and they're going to be elected and it's just never going to stop. So the only way that you can really do this shit going forward, and this is my opinion, is to make sure that you're offering them something that does not detract from what it is that you're trying to get. I do believe that there's a couple of different ways to mine Bitcoin that makes them happy. I think GAM and SG Barber at uh, Upstream Digital... I think what those guys are doing, I think they are really hammering their narrative out in a pretty good fashion. And it's going to be the narrative that makes sense. They are capturing methane that would otherwise be released into the atmosphere. <clears throat> they are turning it into CO2, which is 100 times less, quote, lethal to the human species and, and Earth than pure methane. They are making a revenue out of it. We are incentivized to start doing these things. Whereas before, there was no real incentive. And that's the key. Without the incentive to do these things, nobody's going to do them. Nobody was going to go, 
wow, I'm going to spend all my time figuring out how to capture, you know, as much methane as I possibly can and just burn it to nothing and, and basically do it out of the goodness of my heart because I'm going to end up living under a fucking bridge because I'm not getting any money out of this. And bills need to be paid. Food needs to be bought. You know, rent or housing needs to be secured. Sorry, but this is just the way it is. Unless you want to go live in a cave. And that's fine. More power to you. I'm just saying, our narratives need to be rock solid. They, and they don't need to be lies. And there's no reason in the world that we have to lie about any of this shit. Because all of this shit is good. We've just got to look very carefully, very closely, and with some of the most sharpest minds on the planet to look at these things and say, what is the good? Let's pull out the good first and figure out not only if the good outweighs the bad, but if the bad really is bad in the first place. Some of those bad things that are there might actually be turned around because you pulled the good out of the narrative first. So think, think about that. Like, what is it that you can say about, you know, oil and gas and its, its uh, courtship of Bitcoin mining? What can you pull out of that as a Bitcoiner? What can you study about that as a Bitcoiner and, and be able to go to your friend who may be concerned about Bitcoin mining and say, dude, look, and just lay it out for them. But the only way that laying it out for them really works is if that shit is airtight from the argumentative scale. So study arguments. Google, how do I make a good argument? And go from there. Or duck, duck, go it. You know, either way. Anyway, let's run the numbers. All right, cnbc.com forward slash forward uh, futures and commodities because I still am up before the markets. <coughs> we have oil up 0.39%. So West Texas Intermediate is going to come in at $61.67 so far. Brent North Sea is looking real good, 0.21 to the upside, but it's coming in at $65.50 for a barrel of Brent Sea. Natural gas Kind of moving sideways. It's down like point, you know, like a fifth of a point. Two dollars and seventy-four cents for a thousand cubic feet of that. Gold and all the shiny metal rocks looking good. Uh, yeah, except for gold, zero point zero zero six percent to the upside is basically sideways. So uh, one thousand seven hundred eighty-two dollars for an ounce of that. Silver, yeah, pretty much unchanged at twenty-six dollars and twenty cents. Platinum, however, getting a kick in the pants, dude. And I mean to the upside by 2.5%, uh, $1,237 for that. Copper is up by 1% and palladium is up by one-third of a percent. Uh, most agricultural futures are up. And let's see, oh, live cattle started trading. Let's see, up 0.3 or 63%. The price on live cattle is $116.57. No, I don't know what that means. Can somebody tell me what the hell like livestock futures contracts actually, I mean, is like $116 for a whole cow? Is it for 10 pounds of, of like processed beef? Somebody, please, anybody tell me what the hell this shit is going on. You know, what's going on. 
All the futures are up. Dow futures are up 0.7 or 0.7. S&P futures are up almost a half. NASDAQ futures are up over a half. And the S&P mini is up almost a full point of a percent, which means, guess what? All the interest rate futures on the treasuries uh, have gone down. <laughs> That's right. But not down by a whole lot. But apparently down enough to buoy the market, so everybody's happy, but let's talk about real money. And no, we're not happy about 48,795.88. No, we're not happy about that. Have we seen it before? Yes. Oh my God. Come on, guys. Everybody just need to take a freaking chill pill. Although what sucks hardcore is that we're down below $1 trillion in market cap. That's going to make people like Peter Schiff very happy for a couple of weeks. And then we'll tear the face off again like we always do. 274,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is just under 12,000 transactions on average per hour. But 1.25 million BTC have been sent in that 24 hour period. I haven't seen over a million BTC in a 24 hour period done in like probably four to six weeks, guys. So let that sink in. That means that 52,000 BTC on average every hour is being sent and 4.5 BTC is the average transaction value, whereas the median transaction value is 0.026 BTC or about 1,250 bucks. Block times are coming back down. Thank God, it's 10 minutes and 35 seconds, which is still pretty high, but hash rate look, in China looks like it's coming back online. Uh, we have 2.1 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 287.3 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. Now that also yielded 850 BTC on subsidy. So, you know, divide 287.3 BTC by five or 850, and you will get the percentage that fees made up of the subsidy. And we can figure on like, you know, sort of, what that's going to mean for the future, but it's always buoyed by price. What we're looking for is fees to completely take over the subsidy. We're going to need a much higher price for that to happen. I think we'll get it. Time will tell. Holy moly. 220, oh, 26.42% hash rate came back online in the past 24 hours. We are now back to 162.9 exahashes per second. Dogecoin is your shitcoin indicator, and it is at 22 cents, which is still entirely too high, but still, that should tell you what the hell's going on in alt season. Clark Moody dashboard is showing 114,000 transactions waiting for 71 blocks to onboard to clear that little mess. Again, like I said, we, have, we are now down to $922 billion of market capitalization which takes us to 8% of gold market cap and only 26 or 27.6 ounces of gold is going to be had for one Bitcoin of which there are 18,689,167.21 of those in existence. And Clark Moody is showing a price for each one at 49,375. We have 1,205.5 BTC in the Lightning Network. 
that capacity value has precipitously dropped like everything else to $60 million, but but the uh, total number of nodes has risen to 10,667 dollars, or 67 nodes, not dollars, my God. And those, what am I saying, those nodes, I'm talking about lightning nodes. And if you're not running a node, you need to run your own node. It's so simple, man. Just get a Raspberry Pi 4 with like four, you know, gigabytes on it and a SSD and then go over to the, and hit up Umbral or my node. I use my node and I've been having a lot of fun with it. So, you know, there's like, go, go to start nine, just get a node going. Once you've got your Bitcoin core node up and running and synced, it's like almost nothing to pull up a lightning node right alongside it. And most of these people offer lightning node services that is basically a one click button. Just saying, and you learn how to do it. Uh, Percentage of Tor capacity has increased slightly to 57.9%. I do believe that's actually an all time high. That means that there are 697 BTC in the tor, in the tor, on the Tor side of the Lightning Network, of which there are 4,875 Tor Lightning nodes that we know about, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. <clears throat> I was going to start this one with this piece by Peter Chihuahua. Meet the Tennessee mayor who's ready to embrace Bitcoin. Yeah, I wonder how long it'll take him to just go complete shitcoin. Let's let's see if we have any 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 evidence here. <coughs> with a population of some six hundred and oh, sorry sixty seven thousand people sitting about seventy miles east of Memphis, Tennessee, there's nothing particularly cypherpunk about the city of Jackson, Tennessee. But Mayor Scott Conger realizes that it could benefit from embracing Bitcoin nonetheless, just like any other city in the world. And I quote, I've been interested in Bitcoin for a while, but it's been from a distance as a spectator. In the past few months, I've gotten more interested and I'm always looking for ways to make Jackson better and to stand out. I've started having conversations with people. The more conversations that I have, the more interested I become. He told Bitcoin Magazine. Conger got the attention of the Bitcoin world with a series of tweets this month. He put laser eyes on his profile picture, announced that he's forming a blockchain task force for the city, and noted the forthcoming equitable industrial revolution that will be brought on by Bitcoin adoption. Specifically, Conger, yeah, Conger is exploring ways that he can offer cryptocurrency-based payroll conversions for city employees. Quote, we already offer our employees a deferred compensation opportunity for their retirement. These options are great, but we need to expand our options for our employees to utilize dollar cost averaging, nice, to increase and enhance their portfolios, Conger explained, comparing the wealth protection potential of Bitcoin to more rational forms of savings. <laughs> more rational. Bitcoin-based payroll services would be novel, but it's an option also being explored by Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami. But Conger is also looking into the possibility of mining Bitcoin to add the asset to Jackson's balance sheet. Currently, his team is assessing the initial investment and energy cost, but he seems optimistic about the potential. Quote, the benefits could be exponential. We can potentially get to a point where we are not only funding municipal projects from mined coins, but we could also benefit from our local energy authority by mining in off-peak hours, which would allow them to plan and regulate the energy output. End quote. 
Though Conger is still exploring the potential that Bitcoin can bring to Jackson's municipal services, he is positive about ways that the transformative technology can help its citizens. In another, it's sorry, it's another indicator in just how early we are in the process of hyper-Bitcoinization that his openness and optimism makes him a standout among the country's legislatures, uh, many of whom are more focused on finding reasons to restrict the use of Bitcoin. Conger said that he is hoping for a larger attitude shift among these legislators soon. I think it's easy to find the 14,604,000 ways something doesn't work. Leaders have to find the way that it will work. We can hold on to the way that it's always been done or we can drive innovation. We have to be willing to embrace the future and create a vision on how to get there, he said. I like that because that kind of goes hand in hand with what I was saying about narrative construction and argument construction. You've got to be able to pull out what can work, i.e. the positive, also known as the good, and figure out a way if that somehow or another turns the bad that's left behind, if you can find any of that and turn it around to where, well, actually that's no longer bad anymore given what's good going on here, okay? He's he's got the attitude. It's easy to find the 14 million ways something won't work. Then stop wasting your time finding out all the ways that it doesn't work and, and spend your time figuring out how it will work. That's a positive mental attitude. And that's the kind of shit that's going to get us through the rest of whatever it is we're going to go through. So when policymakers meet cypherpunks, Bitcoin's regulatory future. Lena Sish, Sish, Sish. I can't pronounce her name. Anyway, you know who Lena is. If you don't, just Google Jim Guy. Anyway, in a November interview with the BTC Times, Michael Saylor dropped a bombshell on his newly found following. Quote, stop talking about regulatory arbitrage. Censorship, resistance, privacy, and tax evasion are bad ideas. We hate that. People with billions of dollars don't want to invest in crypto networks that support anarchists. Woo, dude. <laughs> yeah, Michael also said something else about taxes. Basically, he said, fuck you, tax that, when he was talking about Bitcoin boating accidents, but we'll just let him go and do his thing. Safe to say, this didn't particularly curb Sailor's rise in popularity as one of, if not the most vocal Bitcoin advocate for public companies, but it left an aftertaste among privacy-conscious Bitcoiners. How could somebody who seemed to have so perfectly grasped the concept of Bitcoin as an alternative to the centrally controlled financial system possibly lean strongly towards regulating it? The reality is that Saylor speaks from the position of an institutional investor. The corner of the market that is currently buying up substantial chunks of the available Bitcoin supply and demonstrating that Bitcoin's popularity stretches way beyond the cypherpunk circles as the adventurous first movers on Wall Street test the orange waters all accredited eyes are upon them. For these investors, Bitcoin's most attractive features uh, tends to be its scarcity, which elegantly incapacitates central banks from arbitrarily printing it into oblivion. Go get them, cops. I don't know if you can hear the sirens going on in the background, but anyway, privacy and transactional censorship resistance are often, you know, way lower on the agenda, especially for public companies that are required to disclose their holdings to the local regulatory body anyway. In fact, clear regulation would likely be loved by institutions as it would nudge Bitcoin onto the main stage of the world's capital markets and not only boost its legitimacy in the eyes of professional investors worldwide, but also enable further growth of Bitcoin's surrounding ecosystem uh, of service provider 
sorry, providers. As large investors seek access to Bitcoin en masse, they're triggering a new dimension of FOMO. The ball is in the regulators' courts and policymakers can no longer turn a blind eye to Bitcoin. So what does regulation look like? With institutions piling in on Bitcoin, it has become apparent that Bitcoin indeed was no fad. It didn't die in 2017 and it can't be willed away and dismissed as a temporary internet phenomenon. So, so at long last, and even though some Bitcoiners may not like it, Regulatory bodies around the world are looking to increase regulatory oversight of this new asset class. Only yesterday, Fox Business reported that according to unnamed sources, the Biden administration was, quote, in the early stages of developing a regulatory approach to the crypto markets, end quote. Yeah, he'll fuck that up like he does everything else. As was to be expected, <coughs> regulators today are primarily focus, uh, focusing on fiat on and off ramps, the most centralized players in the Bitcoin ecosystem that must comply with whatever rules are imposed upon them, unless you're HODL HODL or BISC. Anyway, uh, one such new regulatory measure can also be seen in action in the Netherlands, where the local central bank requires exchanges to ask their users for the purpose with which they intend to buy Bitcoin, as well as which wallet they use. Dutch exchange users also need to prove ownership of their addresses via a screenshot or signed message. Local exchange Bitonic went to court over the matter, calling the measures ineffective and disproportionate. The proceedings are ongoing. Although Bitonic recently celebrated a win when its objections were upheld in court, putting the Dutch Central Bank to react to its objections within six weeks' time. Uh, meanwhile, FinCEN dropped a proposed ruling in the U.S. that, if adopted, would require companies to collect personal information such as names and addresses from users who transfer over $3,000 a day as well as report any transactions over $10,000 a day users send to non-custodial wallets. The proposal was met with widespread criticism spanning concerns over its poor definition of terms, uh, endangerment of user privacy, and an unusually short period for public comments, which made the process seem suspiciously rushed. The comment period was later amended to allow more time for submissions, 7,669 of which have been filed to date last month. Another unpleasant surprise reached the Bitcoin space from the Financial Action Task Force, which published an amended draft version of its guidance on virtual assets. While initially only focusing on custodial intermediaries, the new draft blurs the line of who is considered a so-called VASP or virtual asset service provider, going as far to suggest non-custodial network participants may be required to conduct AML surveillance, as well as encouraging developers not to enable peer-to-peer -peer transactions in their software. Good luck with that. But what appears outright Orwellian and seems to go right against the values many prescribe to Bitcoin might not always be driven by malice. Sometimes it's just a lack of understanding amplified by an attempt to apply the same rules to Bitcoin that were originally designed for the legacy banking system. Quote, in many respects, these regulators are antiquated and do not apply cleanly to the new financial system, Vijay Boyapati told us. Quote, regulators are often slow in understanding and appreciating the nuances of the technologies they're regulating and more often than not are unable to satisfactorily supervise the in industry that they are overseeing in quote you could call it a tragedy of centralization as outlined by blockstream cso samson mo quote powers controlling the money supply try to act in the interest of the masses but behave contrary to the common good either from ineptitude or malice in quote 
the results, or rather, the result for you as the end user will be stricter KYC and AML measures. Whether those will be well adjusted to Bitcoin's financial system is a different question. They will cost money to implement and maintain, all while possibly not yielding the results regulators are hoping for, because while regulators try to make the Bitcoin network more transparent, Bitcoiners are trying to make it more private. Quote, over time, I do expect that Bitcoin will be developed to add privacy-enhancing features that will make it only traceable at the on and off ramps uh, to the legacy fiat financial system. VJ said, base layer additions like Taproot, transactional tools like CoinJoin, and second layer solutions like Lightning will increasingly blur the lines of ownership regarding most current policy pro- proposals ineffective, or sorry, rendering most current policy proposals ineffective beyond the realm of on and off ramps. <clears throat> but not all news from the regulatory corner is as worrisome as what we've seen from FinCEN and FATF. Some regulators have shown themselves rather open to Bitcoin. Quote, the recent OCC news where U.S. banks are allowed to treat open source blockchains the same way they treat SWIFT, ACH, or Fedwire is a great example. The Investors Podcast host Preston Pish told us, while it looks as though governments are likely to overregulate in the short term, uh, they may eventually come to regret it, i.e. Turkey and India. Quote, what I suspect will happen With more time, like 10 years, governments that were too restrictive at the start will need to reverse their policies because it will prevent their countries from remaining competitive in the global marketplace. Chances are you like Bitcoin for its independence from central authorities and perhaps even take some kind of satisfaction in knowing that a hypothetical malicious regulator can't control Bitcoin even if they tried. But it would be naive to expect governments to simply leave it to the rapidly growing Bitcoin user base to handle all aspects of their new financial life without intervention. To varying degrees, most countries will soon begin tightening regulations for Bitcoin businesses and by extension their users. (coughs) Any such regulatory action inevitably affects the growth of the local Bitcoin uh, economy. Quote, There will always be regulation around Bitcoin through companies providing Bitcoin financial services such as exchanges and various on-ramps, but there's a limit to how heavily they can be regulated, Samson explained. Quote, if the financial burden of compliance becomes too great, then these services will simply shut down and move to a different jurisdiction, end quote. Similar scenarios will play out on the consumer side if regulators overstep their boundaries. Those who want to uh, preserve the privacy of their Bitcoin holdings, be it out of personal preference or out of necessity, will need to vote with their feet and move to more favorable jurisdictions. For those who can't, overreaching regulation will feed into the demand for decentralized exchanges, which are poised to become an indispensable alternative for Bitcoin users seeking non-identity-bound Bitcoin. Some countries may outlaw these platforms and decry them as money laundering hubs. Supposedly, most citizens are not keen on becoming criminals in their own countries. Furthermore, regulated centralized on-ramps will be extremely convenient to use, making it easy for most people to accept and comply with the imposed regulations. In a worst case scenario, this division could further add to the idea of clean and dirty coins. Clean coins being those that can be definitively linked to an individual or company, Non-KYC coins may be considered illegal, regardless of whether they're used for lawful purposes or not. This may fuel the growth of a contorted Bitcoin ecosystem in which illegal Bitcoins are simply never exchanged back into fiat, Samson said. Conversely, countries with favorable regulation will see an influx of Bitcoin businesses 
and users and with it large-scale economic opportunities. As such, some might find that with regards to regulation, less is more, according to Preston. Quote, I strongly suspect the countries that favor the least amount of regulatory features will attract the most economic prosperity moving forward. So it's going to be an interesting minimum-maximum problem for global participants to solve. How a country regulates Bitcoin has a lesser effect on Bitcoin and a stronger effect on the respective country's economy. In imposing certain restrictions, regulators effectively control if and how their citizens can access Bitcoin and Bitcoin-adjacent services. They don't impact the Bitcoin protocol or network itself. In fact, if they did, it'd be a pretty bad sign, as Samson told us. Quote, a perfectly compliant Bitcoin would be no different than fiat. It could be a tool for surveillance capitalism, and it implies that the protocol and consensus rules would be malleable and sensitive to political whims. The day that well-meaning bureaucrats can fix Bitcoin is the day that Bitcoin dies, end quote. If a country really wanted to get rid of Bitcoin, it could attempt to outlaw mining or running a node, but similar to overreaching regulation of fiat on-ramps, this would simply drive users and economic opportunities to other jurisdictions. An even more draconian possibility is that of governments trying to directly influence Bitcoin governance decisions. Individual jurisdictions or a collective of countries could attempt to accumulate hash rate and deploy thousands of nodes that only accept blocks mined by compliant mining pools, which are pools that don't include transactions involving blacklisted coins and blocks. Should this happen, we would likely see Bitcoin hard fork into one compliant version run by regulators and one non-compliant version supported by those looking to preserve Bitcoin's key characteristics of privacy and censorship resistance. And as always, the market would decide which version prevails. While we shouldn't discredit such David versus Goliath scenarios, it's important to keep in mind that although financial regulators are often more or less jokingly referred to as Bitcoin's final boss, they aren't the enemy by default. In fact, many regulatory bodies around the world are actively engaging in dialogue with industry insiders as they try to find their way around Bitcoin. How that will play out for upcoming regulations in different jurisdictions is to be seen. Ultimately, Bitcoin's continued growth implies that an extreme overhaul of the world's financial system is on the horizon. Bitcoin continues to be mankind's best shot at the peaceful separation of money and state, and as long as there is demand for that, it will continue to exist in harmony with countries that embrace it and in spite of the efforts made by countries that don't. The question is, who takes more harm from rejecting Bitcoin? Bitcoin or the countries that isolate themselves from its new financial paradigm? Wow, that was a long one, Lena, but it was, or it was really worth it. Um, hold on. Okay. Oh, sorry, I got a message and I had to answer it. Sorry. Um, Lena did a really good job on this one, laying this one out, because that's, I mean, I, I, it's not that I agree with everything that she said as much as I do agree with her general take on the landscape of where we're at. Jurisdictional arbitrage is, is a thing that governments, they, they don't like it, but they also know that they can't really stop it. So they have always walked this line between being too draconian and not being, I don't know, like, I don't know, regulatorily enough, you know, to make sure that, you know, cities don't burn to the ground or something like that, whatever it is that they're always concerned about. 
But what we're seeing right now is a general shift. And we're not seeing it just right now. This has been since 2001. Since the idiot planes ran into the buildings, we've been seeing basically just a, a spiral down into, into draconian land. And it's get, been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And for the eight years or the seven years before Bitcoin was even a, you know, well, I'm sure it was a twinkle in Satoshi's eye, but it certainly wasn't on the horizon for us because the white paper hadn't been written for at least seven to seven and a half to seven and three quarters years after the planes flew into the fucking buildings. And now it's just getting worse. Okay, but we've got this one weapon, you know, and it's, it's actually the only peaceful weapon that's ever been invented. As far as I can tell, Bitcoin is a weapon, yet it's the only peaceful one because you can't shoot somebody with it. You can't drop it out of an airplane and blow up a Pakistani wedding and tearing their little children apart who had nothing to do with anything whatsoever, right? You can't deploy it on an F-16 and, and, and launch it at another plane in an air-to-air combat scenario. It doesn't explode. Bitcoin is the most stable weaponry we've ever seen outside of a sword, right? It doesn't explode. It doesn't go past the speed of sound. Well, actually it does go past, it does go the speed of light, but you get what I'm saying here. It, you can't kill somebody with it, but you can bludgeon the living shit out of governments, regulatory agencies, whole populations with it. Because like, let's say that, you know, you got Turkey just decides 100% ban. How much will they lose in the future? How much will they have turned the gun on themselves and shot themselves in the head? How much of a decision that they make will filter down into their population? How will it hurt their population for these small group of people to make these decisions? How will that flow into, you know, a couple of million people? I don't know. How, I, don't know I have no idea how, uh, what the population of Turkey is, but I'm, I'm assuming a few million people at minimum. They're all affected. So in a way, the only way that Bitcoin explodes on somebody is when you disregard it and make sure that your populace cannot use it. And they are the people that get hurt. If you want to stop hurting people, adopt Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.